The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And when his wife saw that, and Moses was evidently on his deathbed and couldn't do it, his wife rose up, took a knife and grabbed their son and circumcised him and then threw the foreskin and said to her husband Moses, a bloody husband thou art to me because of the circumcision. What does that show in the attitude of his wife? It shows in the attitude of his wife that she was not sympathetic to the circumcision, much less to the God of circumcision, the Lord, the God of Moses, she was not on that page. And as Moses looked at that, that hurt. That hurt a lot when that wife of his took and, and threw the, the foreskin and said, a bloody husband thou art to me because of the circumcision. That hurt a lot. That hurt a lot in many, many different areas. That hurt because of their relationship together. It was shot, and that hurt Moses. That hurt a lot because of the display that she has, was making in front of their child. And that hurt Moses a lot. And it also hurt because Moses looked at this woman, his wife, and said, oh, it's not me she's throwing that foreskin and saying those words against, it's God. She's put herself in a very dangerous position. And that hurt. That hurt the husband Moses. But you know what hurt him also? It hurt him because when she did that display, of the bloody husband thou art to me with the foreskin and the knife and all the drama and the blood. What that hurt, Moses has said, I failed. I failed to bring my wife into the knowledge of God. Now I'm gonna go and bring the Jewish people in the knowledge of God? What are my credentials? Color me Mr. Failure in the home. Moses the father, Moses the teacher, Moses the spiritual leader in the home, failed. And that hurt, that hurt a lot when she went through that tirade, tirade there. And so he looks back over his own life and he says to himself, failure, 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 failure. And Moses was weary with being a failure. He was worn out. He was tired. He was tired of being a failure. And now, because God's called him, he's about to embark on this next great venture to deliver the Jewish people, and Moses wants so much. 
just not to fail. Not another failure, please. And so he's anticipating all the obstacles that are gonna be in his way as he goes out, as he's gonna go do what God says. He's resolved to go and obey God. Thank God and, and, and good, Moses, good, to not let, as Paul said, the things which are behind me, he says, but he, he presses forward, forgetting those things which are behind, is the way Paul put it, and Moses is now, as regard to all these failures, is forgetting those things which are behind, and he's pressing forward for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we see Moses doing that, pressing forward. But he's trying to, he, he says, okay, forget the past, but I don't want to fail again. And so the, the last time Moses tried to deliver the Jewish people, he was caught on the spot. He was caught unprepared. He was caught by surprise, by surprise of what? The rejection of the Jewish people. It caught him off guard, caught him on the spot. And he wondered now, he wondered as he looked at this, how it all happened, how he was caught off guard, how he was surprised, how he was so unprepared. And he thought about it, back on it. He wondered, how was he found out to be the killer of that Egyptian? What happened? It said explicitly there that Moses looked this way and he looked that way before he killed that Egyptian. But, and he didn't see anyone. But obviously, Moses was seen by the Jewish people, by somebody, because the next day they taunted him with the call in Exodus 2.14, and he said, and who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill us, to kill me, as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. See, that was the words of a man who is caught off guard, caught on the spot, caught, uh, he's surprised. And that fear that it says Moses had was also a shock fear because he knew that he had failed to prepare and he knew that he had failed to anticipate what happened and he was caught off guard by that statement. And now it's 40 years since that happened and Moses is still afraid of being caught off guard, of being caught unprepared, of being caught by surprise. And so he's afraid, he's afraid to fail. And he can see himself standing in front of all those Jewish people and, and he says, God sent me to you, with a big smile on his face, and then being put on the spot again, being unprepared, being caught off guard. And so he asks God for the answer to the question that he anticipates. I know they're gonna ask me, what is God's name who sent you to us? So tell us, Moses, what's his name? You're the one who knows all about God, so tell us what his name is then. And that is one angle for why Moses was asking God this question. But let's expand this a little more. And why Moses was asking that question into a, let's expand it into a little bit of a deeper consideration. Because for us as believers, Moses is not just the great deliverer of the Jewish people in the gear of the law of God, we put ourselves in the place of the believing Jews at that time, and there was at least Joshua and Caleb, and we see Moses as our speaker, and we say, oh, good, Moses speaks for us. Moses says what we want to say. And seeing ourselves as one of those believers, we see Moses again, as we've been talking about, as our priest, 
our priest. Very similar to the Jewish people and uh, the very small remnant of, Jew of believing Jews for the Jewish people, the Lord Jesus Christ is not their speaker, is not their priest. They have totally rejected him as that. But by contrast, for example, the, the small remnant of Joshua and Caleb out of two million, by contrast for the Jewish believers, the Lord Jesus Christ is their speaker. He is their priest. And so as a priest, Moses is our representative and he speaks for us. And what he says here are our words. And here he's speaking for us and he's asking what every believer wants to know. He's asking what you wanna know. He's asking what I wanna know. The desire of every believer, the desire of every awakened soul is to know who God is. It's to know who God is. As a matter of fact, we, you can sort of almost divide everybody in the world into one of two categories, and there are those who wanna know who God is, and they care to know God's name, and then there are those who don't wanna know, who could not care less, who, of whom it is no, no interest at all as to who God is, as to what his name is. But the desire of every believer, of every awakened soul, is to know who God is, to want to know him. And there comes a time in the life of little children, and that time arrives in the case of little children when their God consciousness seems to wake up, seems to blossom like a flower. The time has come. It's the time of God bloom. It's a time of the opening up. And we see that, the consciousness, the awakeness, and they wanna know who God is. And they come to the place where they want someone who knows to tell them who God is. They may express it by saying something like, what does God look like? Where does God live? And just what is he like? What is God like? And they wanna know. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said, unless you become as a little child, you won't enter into heaven. Unless you have that bloom of spring, as like the flowers that open up, and they wanna know who God is and that God consciousness, the Lord Jesus Christ said, you can't get to the kingdom of heaven. You can't get to heaven unless you have that. You know, there's a wonderful flower in Israel, and it only blooms at night. And I, I saw it when I was there, and it's closed during the day, but during the nighttime, that flower opens up. It's really amazing. It's an amazing uh, flower. And I don't know why it does this, because all the other flowers open up to catch the sunlight, but this flower seems to open up really at the end of the day. It catches a little bit of the sun, and then it, it's open during the night, and it closes in the morning. And you know, that flower is a wonderful example of how a believer becomes a believer because every person has the nighttime that falls into their lives. Most people are like most flowers in that they open up when everything is going great in life, when the sunshine is there. But when it all gets, it, when it all gets, it gets really hard and really difficult, and like at night, they close up. And, but a person who finds God a person for whom uh, heaven is his destination is the one who in the nighttime of his life opens up and says, oh God, I open myself to you. 
just like that flower in Israel. And so Moses here, he, he, he's speaking for us, and, and we're like little children, and, 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 and that's what happened to us as believers. Our soul was in a, was, was in a sort of a death sleep, and then all of a sudden our souls woke up, and the question came to us, and that's when really when new life began, when we came to that place, Paul came to in Acts 9.5 in the nighttime of his life, when he was on the road to Damascus seeking to, to persecute and, and kill Christians and put them in prison and so forth. And on that nighttime of his life, it was so hard for him. And he was, as it says, he was, his life was like trying to kick against thorns. It's, it was hard for him to kick against the pricks. And when God stopped him on that road in this nighttime, in, in Acts of his life, Acts 9, 5, it says, and, he, and the first words that Paul said is he said, who art thou, Lord? See, what is your name? Who are you, God? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, this, deni this desire here, this desire that Paul had to know who God was, was awakened on this road to Damascus. And that's the time when Paul was converted what we see was the awakening of the desire to know who God is, which led to the revelation by God that he was Jesus, and then the acceptance by Paul of that fact, that's when Paul was uh, born. That's when Saul, Paul was born, before he was Saul, he was Paul. And he progresses then in his new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that awakened quest which happened then to know God, it just kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until it seemed that he was just gonna burst out, Philippians 3, 8 through 10, where he says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win or that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Now you'd think, and in the case of Paul, that he knew so much already, he did, he knew so much about God. This is the end of his life when he's writing these things. He's known so much about God. He's written theology. He's written more books in the Bible than anyone else. And so you would think that Paul would have reached that point in his life where he was ready to just sit back and just color me scholar. Sit back and hang the sign around me that says scholar and line up for the questions and I will sit here and pontificate, you know. And you might think that at the end of his life, Paul finally arrived and his quest to know God was over. You might think Paul might say, it's over, I know God. And now it's time for him to sit back and have others learn from him. Not Paul, not true, not Paul. That was not at all who Paul was. In addressing whether or not Paul saw himself as finally arrived at knowing God, Paul said these words, yea, doubtless, doubtless, 
And with these words, Paul wants to say, there's no question about it, this is my life certainty, that I have caught the vision of the most excellent treasure that can be gained in my life. And this is what I am absolutely sure of, that when I put everything, and you can use this picture of Paul doing this, I'll just put everything on one side that anyone could possibly call gain on earth. And so what does he put over here on this side? He says, Paul says, I put the gain of all my possessions. I put the gain of all my education. I put the gain of all my scholarly achievements. I've mastered the languages of Hebrew and Greek and Latin. I put the gain of being an expert in knowledge and practice in the Hebrew religion to have reached the status of, I could call me a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I put the gain of my status as a citizen of Rome. I put the gain of my achievements, including all my writings of more books in the Bible than any other person. I put the gain of my position from God of being the apostle to the Gentiles. And I put all those gains in my life on this one side. And then on this other side, I just put one gain. And on this side is only one gain, which is the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then I stand back, as Paul says, picture him doing this, and I see, I see what is on both sides. I see it clearly. I see it objectively. On the one side are what I have gained on earth. Here I see them now, my possessions, my education, my knowledge of languages, my being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, my being a Roman citizen, my achievements of writing scripture, my position as being the apostle of the Gentiles. And here on the other side, I just put just one thing, the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. There's no question about it, Paul says. I walk over to the side of my knowledge of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I say, and I, and I take out the ribbon, and I put that ribbon on it that says, excellent. And that's the word that Paul uses here to describe the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Excellent, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And then as I walk over to this other side, here's all my possessions, achievements, positions, and I look at all those gains, et cetera, and I have just one word to describe it all compared to what's on this side. And he says, and I put on this the title of loss, loss. That's the word that Paul used to describe all that is apart and separate from the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Loss, he says, loss. I count all things but loss. Oh, loss, what loss, Paul? Loss, possessions, loss, achievements, loss, positions, loss. All that the world calls gain. When put up next to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I call all this loss. Paul, your life, possessions, your achievements, your positions, all loss, L-O-S-S, loss, just loss. In fact, that word that Paul uses here is very interesting because the Greek word that Paul uses here is semia as the meaning of lost caused by a violent damage. It's the same word translated as damage 
that Paul used when he was as a prisoner on a ship and Paul was warning the sailors that the ship was going to be destroyed by the waves. And Paul said in Acts 27.10, and he said unto them, Sir, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Zumea, same word, damage. Not only of the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. So when Paul used that particular word, Zumea, loss, translated as damage in this other place in Acts 27, he meant that the waves, and picture again now Acts 27, he meant the waves were going to damage the ship. The waves were going to destroy the ship. The waves were going to destroy the what was in the ship. The waves were going to threaten and damage the lives. And he used that Greek word, zemea, it's a warning that he was giving there in Acts 27. That's the same Greek word that Paul has used here and translated as loss when Paul describes, as we said in Philippians 3, 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, Paul was saying that if he put value in all of these so-called what the world called gains, if he put value on his life possessions and his achievements and his positions, and if he, if he gave them the ribbon of excellent, then those possessions, achievements, positions would be like the waves beating against the ship. They have the potential to damage his estimation of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Isn't that the truth with us also? Isn't that true of us also? When we first started our Christian life, we were like Paul on the way to Damascus. We knew God was calling us. We responded with that all-important question, who art thou, Lord? Who are you, God? And like Paul, that became the grand quest of our lives, to know God. And all we wanted to do was to know more about God and more about Jesus we, we could not get enough of God. We could not get enough of the Bible. We could not get enough of Jesus. And then as time went on, we felt a little like the honeymoon was over and all things began to lure again, began to attract again, began to draw again. And there was that competition that's described in Mark 4.19 where it says, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And we felt those hands around the throat choking us, cutting off our air, cutting off our single focus of devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cares of this world, I just have to get this done first. Hang on, Lord, I'll be right back. Not yet, Lord, I'll be right back. I have to just take care of this first. And then after that, I gotta take care of that. And after then there's this, the cares, the cares of this world. That's what's meant, the cares of this world. Then. The other hand of choking is the choke hand of deceitfulness of riches. 
Uh, if only I could have, oh, that would be so good. I just saw that man who won the lottery. Oh, I wish I was him. Oh, what I would buy if I had those millions that he just got. That would make me happy. That would make me content. That would satisfy me in life. Oh, I wish I had a deceitfulness of riches. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. <laughs> 